This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I'd just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google slash certificates. Good morning, Unmatch the Hatch Nation, and welcome to the Unmatch the Hatch podcast. We are dis- where we discuss fly fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors with our host, Landon, Zach, Ian, and Cliff. You can find our website at honeyholeangling.com or our email is honeyholeangling at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram where the t- handle is honeyholeangling. Please leave us a review and enjoy our podcast. On today's episode, we are talking about underground world of the underground world of caving <laughs> with our special guest, Greg. What's up, Greg? Hey, guys. What's up? I hear you're a caver. Yeah, I've I've been accused of such things before. I'm, I, I'm part of lots of uh, underground uh, associations. I may have been in a cave with you once. May have once. So I've been in a cave with him about four times now. Yeah. I've just I've been in a cave, maybe at the same time, but it's not the same. Hey, same maybe cave. it's the same cave. Who knows? Oh, who knows? I've been in a lot of caves. Yeah. So we're going to talk about caving at the end, but Greg, you want to give our listeners like a little tease about caving? Oh man, there's so much to say. I, I I don't even almost don't even want to get started because I'll just start rambling on and well, on and on and on. What is a cave? What is a cave? So first yeah, of what all, is a, cave? a cave is technically anything that's deeper than 15 feet in uh, a limestone, typically rock, and it typically formed by water flowing into the rocks or from coming from up underground and dissolving the rock from around it. So. Uh, Basically, it's a hole in the earth. How many caves are in Bear County? Because I guessed on one of our episodes, I want to see if I was right or wrong. So, at last count, it was a little over 500. Wow. I think I said 500. And so, I mean, that goes from everything from a small, just barely hole in the ground that just qualifies as a cave to things that are just huge and unexplored. And then there's, there's bound to be more caves that we just don't know about. I mean, there's constantly caves that are being broken into by construction crews and housing development crews and things like that that sometimes we never get to hear about. Those are called features in the construction world. Yes, they are. <laughs> and they try to keep them very secret so nobody finds out about them and finds a little little fancy bug in there or anything like that. It'd be cool that, if I bought a house yeah. and like I had like a 
underground door to like enter a cave. Yeah, that would be awesome. Have like a little wine cellar. Can you imagine yeah, yeah. like natural wine? You're cell. like check out this basement, and then you just go in, and your basement ends up being like two miles long. <laughs> you're like forever, oh, man. My my square footage just went way up. <laughs> so, is there a technical term for a feature that is less than fifteen foot? Shelter. 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 Or, or we just call it a feature. Yeah, so there are such things as a shelter cave, which is typically just kind of a, a depression in the cave where you could, you could, you know, kind of visualize yourself getting in out of the rain or maybe building a little campfire in front of it. And just kind of a place, a, a shelter to hang out. Could at. you give it like Prozac so it's not depressed? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so, Cliff, you have a pretty interesting story that happened this week. Would you like to indulge our listeners? No. No, you're not going to tell the story? <laughs> no, I can, but I am telling it kind of at a reserved breath. That's fine. But, um, so last Friday, <laughs> I, I got off work, and I was driving up 281, headed home, and I got off on my exit, and I decided to use my windshield wipers and the fluid to clear off the windshield because it was dusty and bug guts everywhere well about the time that it stopped spraying some dude comes up flying next to me and chunks a water bottle straight <laughs> at my truck where did it hit your truck dead center of the passenger side window was it with the water bottle filled yeah did you consider that maybe he was trying to help you wash your windshield <laughs> oh, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that does, does put a, a lighter spin on it and then not that. <laughs> he, just, he just missed he just it, missed was the top yeah. of the water bottle off or on no, it was on. I mean, it had a clear thud. Oh. But anyway... Most likely to try to clean... I kind of yeah. pull up. I mean, I'm pretty mad at him at this point, and I pull up <laughs> next to him. Like, he, speed, he speeds up beside me, throws the water bottle, and keeps going. So I speed up next to him, and we exchange looks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Where? <laughs> wow! Wow! It's the it's the it's we the, exchange you, glances. You, you turn over to look to see what the idiot looks like, but then they're yeah. looking back at you, seeing what an idiot looks like, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just a couple of idiots looking at each other. There it is. It kind of ex- escalates a little bit, and he gestures that he wants me to pull into the HEB parking lot as well, like follow him into the HEB parking lot, and I'm like, okay. We're we're gonna do this. And Turns out he had a squeegee on his passenger seat. <laughs> he was gonna me. help you out. So I pull up next to him and roll my window completely down, and he's sitting there looking at me like I'm the idiot. And I'm like, "What's up, bro?" I was like, "What's going on?" And he, he's like, "You tell me." And I'm like, "You're the one who threw a water bottle at my truck. You're clearly the one with the issue. What's going on?" He's like, "You used your windshield wipers." <laughs> And I'm like, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to clean off your windshield and use the windshield wiper fluid when your windshield is dirty. He just throws up his hands at that point and then drives off. And that was like the the end of the the situation. Cliff, don't you know it's illegal to use your windshield wiper? Yeah, so... How dare you? And the thing is... I would understand if he was like on a motorcycle or even a convertible and it like sprays and gets all over him. Yeah, maybe I should have been more aware and an a-hole or been more aware and not at that point. But he was in a sedan, a hardtop sedan. 
if anything, the mist from the windshield wiper fluid helped clean his windshield wiper or windshield off. Yeah, all you did was spritz him with Windex. What's the big deal? The problem is you assumed he had windshields. I mean, in and Texas, you, you got you got to do the uh, the Inspection. thing every year to get your. Yeah, Come there are on, places you I can mean, go that, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to let you be like you don't have a windshield. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, Wait, Quinn. Bill, how fast were you traveling? I mean, 281. Wait, were you on 281 or the access road? I was getting off of 281 using the on-ramp onto the access road. And as soon as I get onto the access road is when he throws the water bottle at me. Nice. Clean your windshield. I can't believe you did that. I know. I know. That reminds me of the time I got followed in Austin. Y'all care to hear that story? No. Sure? No, no, you don't want to hear <laughs> yeah. it. It takes a creepier <laughs> yeah. path. Tell it. Okay, so I go fishing. I'm working in Austin, living in Austin, and I decided to go fishing one day. So I pull out of my apartment. It's probably about a 20-minute drive. And uh, you know how you, you know, you're kind of driving and you know who's with you or, like, around you, yeah. and especially if they follow you a long way. So there was a red convertible behind me when i pulled out of my apartment i was like notice it, it sticks out it's red and it's a convertible so you know i turn on to the highway car still behind me i turn off to the highway it's still on major road so it's not weird that he's following me at this point but then i turn um onto some like more rural roads he's still yeah. following me and i'm like this is really weird so then I started evasive maneuvers. I started making some random <laughs> turns, some random turns yeah. and the guy was still following me. And I'm like, okay, surely this guy's not going to the same park I'm going to to go fishing. And he wasn't like tailgating me or anything. I just noticed that this guy was behind me constantly. Hmm. So I turned into the park where I was going to go fishing. Dude also pulls into the park where I'm going to go fishing. So I'm like, this is kind of freaking me out, but I'm going to get out and see what's going on. So I get out, and I start putting my rod together, watching the guy. He gets out of his car, and he, like, takes off towards the bathrooms, which are, like, right by the parking lot. And I'm like, maybe it's just a coincidence, like, trying to. He pulled up and said, there's a man who knows where to poop when on the go. I'm following him to his destination. Maybe. But, no, he went to the bathroom, and I kept glancing over. And at one point, the guy was, like, looking at me, like, peeking his head around the corner of the bathroom <laughs> looking at me. No way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. And I was like, okay, this All is right. getting really weird. So I, like, threw my crap back in my truck, and I bolted. Because this guy was, like, peering around the corner, like, head only. Like, couldn't see his body, but I could see him, like, checking me out. He didn't get to go, didn't go over there to see, like see what was going on talk to him no i wasn't um (laughs) i wasn't armed as you would say feeling comfortable enough to confront no i mean not confront i'm just you know the guy might have needed a roll or something he might have been out wow (laughs) he was another disgruntled window washer guy he was just he was just just like trying to get your attention because he was out of paper in the toilet in the bathroom so did you say why he like followed you i don't know why he followed me (laughs) he just did it he just did and then was creepily looking at me I, I was, like, legitimately freaked out. That's major creepy. Did you report yeah. it? Yeah. No, I never reported it. No, I took down his license wrong. plate number as I drove by. Like, I memorized it. When I got away, I wrote it down, and just, then I never saw that vehicle yeah. again. Just Austin. Can you go ahead and Austin just read things. that off on the podcast? 
Yeah, if <laughs> yeah, you've seen a red convertible, yeah, what's, what's his license plate? No. Message us if uh, you've had a weird guy in a red convertible follow you in the Austin area. <laughs> All I smell is your grapefruit drink and then the fresh earth from the Hey, this thermocell. grapefruit drink is pretty good. Yeah, I've never seen one of these, uh, these mosquito water. things, man. These are pretty awesome. These We've been using it. It's yeah, been pretty it's nice. Pretty good, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was kind of wondering. That one's the older model. The new ones don't have the light, so the new ones don't have, if you notice. Oh, yeah, I got a little light on it that. It also helps to wear my front yard, not my backyard, because we got Yeah, eaten. so, I mean, they're made and designed for hunters. That's who they market it to, but then they put that Big bright blue, light right bright there. Blue light on the front of it. That's great. Oh, so you put tape over it. So I put tape over it because I was like, I'm not going to buy a new one just because of that. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's still glows through there, but I think I could hide that one yeah, a little hey, bit I mean, better. Those are made way more reasonably priced than I thought they would be, too. Yeah. I mean, it's less than 20 bucks. Yeah. And then the refills are like three bucks. Yeah. So we have some questions that were submitted this week. Wait, are these new? Nice. Oh, uh, they're reasonably new. I think I got them. So, Cliff. Got these nice hiking boots about six weeks ago. Very nice. So. Joined the Solomon group. This yeah. one, made, this question made me think of you, Cliff. Best place to locate season day dove leases or hunting areas? Best way to locate, like, pub, public land hunting areas? Public or private. That's what it made it seem like. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the public land because... That's how I roll. Uh, if you really want to look, I mean, it's all listed on TPWD's website. So if you're looking, or even for some reason, if you're not in the tech state of Texas and you're listening from another state, if you just go to your uh, Parks and Wildlife or Natural Resources website webpage, I know Georgia's is the same way. It will, uh, there should be a link that says like, uh, hunting fishing da 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 all at the top and then scroll down and they'll say like public land access mm-hmm. if you click on that then you can uh see the texas one it has brings up a interactive map of texas and you can zoom in and zoom out of it and it has like little stars of where mm-hmm. all the the public land spots are i would say for private land probably a lot of people that do like a lot of dove leads they probably market it on the online so you could google yeah you could just google it the best thing to do is to if you know someone that's actually hunted a place before and that's kind of hard you may not but try to get on a lease that you know that someone's hunted that's good because some people actually prep their leases for dove hunting and then some places are just like i want to take your money and you can come out here and dove hunt and there may be no doves so but also i will say too that you can go on facebook groups and just about every state has a part um a backcountry hunters and anglers Facebook page. I know a lot of people who are new will post things like, "Hey, I'm interested in dove hunting this year." Yeah, and a um, lot of people will hotspot you or give you spots there. Well, not even give you spots, but like they would be like, "Hey, I live in this area too. I'm more than willing to take you uh, when I go out this year or whatever it might be." Because um, they don't want a hotspot necessarily, but they will offer the invite for you to actually go with them, and that way you're hunting with people who have similar interests as you as well. So the next question was favorite movie about the outdoors. That's a tough one. That's super hard. There's yeah. a lot of really good ones. I mean, about the outdoors is in the outdoors because that's kind of just whatever. Know, just about, that's probably a tough uh, toss up between Jeremiah Johnson and A River Runs Through It. Yeah, River Runs Through It's it. 
You know, as I much as it gets made fun of in the fly fishing community, it is a solid. really good movie. You know, I hadn't seen it until about uh, I think I it about just, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. See, actually, I've Mind still never blown. seen it. Whoa. I know. We're going to have to I have it day. on Blu-ray. I've still never seen it. So, so the thing we're just with... stop this and go do that right yeah. now. Okay, okay we're going to pause the podcast. <laughs> we're, whoa. Oh, chair blowout. Chair uh, blowout. So, <laughs> Greg, uh, Greg was committing to a bit and both broke his chair. Nice. No, the back end just slid down the pipe. Oh, no, you actually broke it. <laughs> so, Greg, I have some more chairs behind me if you want to grab one. Yeah. And, hey, Ian, what's your favorite outdoor movie? Um, Dude, that is uh, Wild America with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, no, not really. That's like a, that's like a 90s movie. Um, man, that's a difficult one. Just outdoors in general? Yeah, just movie that takes place outside, I guess. I'm going to go with The Revenant, personally. Oh, man, I was thinking that one. You know, I still haven't seen it. Oh, it's good. Okay, we got two movies. Let's pause the podcast real quick. We're going to go watch you two know, movies. You know, there's a great movie, uh, probably... <laughs> Have you seen? I'm gonna sit on this chair degrees. real gingerly. Sorry, and I had to cut you off. These chairs, I've been, guys... I've been known for blowing out chairs. <laughs> I'm not a small guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not huge. I'm like you know two seventy five, six four. Most of these camp chairs are right on the hairy edge. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ian, what were you saying about your movie? Have you guys ever seen 180 Degrees South? It's with you. Oh, yeah. It's mostly it's, it's like a climbing movie, but he talks about like when him and Doug Tompkins went down to Patagonia for the first time and climbed yes. it. It's yeah, kind of yes. a climbing and surfing movie. But there's a little bit of fishing, and, too, when they actually meet Yvonne down in Patagonia. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and he's a big fly fisherman. He's the founder, owner, whatever, of Patagonia. I love that movie. That really inspired me. You so know, I, watching that movie out, was when I learned that Patagonia had anything to do with fly fishing. Yeah. Mm. I, I like... That was pretty recently I watched that movie, and I was kind of mind-blown. That's a good movie. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow, Patagonia, they make some nice stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like you said, Ian, too, it's super inspiring. It's like, you watch it, and all you want to do is just, like, get in a car and drive somewhere to be outside. Uh, Yeah. They they drove down, like, the Pan American Highway, like, in the 60s, when it was dirt, like, all the way down. Like, they drove there. They didn't fly. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely crazy. Another one since you're on the realm of climbing is uh, the Dawn Wall. That one's good. Yeah. Um, That's the more recent one with that, Alex Honnold, right? Not with Alex Honnold. Um, with Tommy Caldwell. With Tommy Caldwell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That one's really inspirational. Yeah. Um, Cliff, what's your favorite outdoor movie? At the risk of sounding cliche, I'm gonna have to say Jeremiah Johnson. Classic movie. Never it seen is. That one if you've never God, seen it, I wow. highly suggest. What are you it. doing with your life? Yeah, I watch it against movies I, that are all about inside. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one either. It's a really good one. It's. I mean, okay. I say cliche. It's only cliche within like the realms of hunting. It's. It's pretty much the hunting equivalent of uh, a river runs through it. Gotcha. For all intents and purposes. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, but those cliche movies, they're, they're they get so, that way for a reason. Yeah, because they're just so well known and they've inspired so mm-hmm. many people to be outside and like river runs through it. How many people watched the movie and wanted to go fly fishing? Mm-hmm. Right. Jeremiah well, Johnson. How many people wanted to go be a mountain man when they were like they were like ten watching the movie and go, I'm gonna be a mountain man, it's gonna be the best thing ever. But right. they uh they even attribute like the resurgence of like uh fly fishing within like 
during the 1990s and stuff was directly correlated to a river runs through yeah. it. Oh, like yeah. people in the mainstream go to the theater, saw it, and they saw them whipping around a stick in the river, and then they're like, "I got to." I'm that. gonna, I'm gonna go and try that, and then it like grew from there. Yeah, I mean, sense. it was always a thing before, but like it helped push it into the mainstream. Right. Yeah. Zach, did you say yours? No. Um, is it beyond the curve? No. <laughs> Mine is probably <laughs> The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's no, good. It isn't like out. It's like is that outdoors though. Kinda, I would say so. Because I mean, it's I've all never, about like this it. guy's like I mean, he works inside, and then he has to track down yeah. this film photographer who travels across the world, like going like remote places, and it's all about like him like. You know, risking going further, yeah, going outside. Doing what's yeah. what's the one where the, the guy the Alaska, the just, where the guy goes to Alaska? Where the guy goes to Alaska into the wild? Into the wild. Uh, that's, that's a, a good, good one, one too. too. You know, yeah. they just removed that bus from its location did, to put it in the museum. Dying going to yeah, see it. Yeah, people were going out there checking it out, and yeah, yeah, they were dying. Yeah, what? because people would go see it, but then they would like. There's a river that separates like the road to the bus, and they would drown or die in the river, or they would just like. Or they'd find the little plant he ate too. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I mean, just... this whole story is about a dude going there and dying. Right. It's like, yeah. yeah, the chances of you going there and dying might be pretty high. Right. So, so I have another one mm-hmm. that's I think people would like if you like want a, a movie about like just good old deer camp like antics and stuff. I'm probably gonna butcher the pronunciation of it, uh, but in Kaniba in the moonlight, it's really funny. It's a comedy based around like. A dude from, I believe he was from Michigan, and he had never killed a deer, but, like, everyone in his family did, and everyone in his town had killed, like, a big buck, mm-hmm. but he had never shot one. So, like, he's, all like, all down hard, like, downtrodden on himself and stuff like that. And so they get there, and it all takes place within, like, their hunting cabin, and, like, just his father and his brother, like, ripping on him the whole time. And then, like, all this other stuff happening. It's a pretty funny one. Mm. Uh, next question was, anyone learning anything new in the quarantine? I picked up a lot of... Well, I mean, I've been doing this for a couple of years. But I feel like since quarantine, I really learned how to, um, like, do, like, film photography. Oh, yeah. Zach's been doing a lot of film nice. photography. Nice. A book like, coming soon. Yeah, at some point it's been it's been put on hold the last month with everything else going on. But yeah, I've always kind of dabbled in it. But I feel like yeah. the last four months it's just like I've really picked it up. And we learned how to podcast. We did learn how to podcast. Yeah, yeah, and I make YouTube videos. I wouldn't say I've been doing anything new per se, but I have been kind of rekindling some old hobbies that I haven't really got to get to in a while because I just hadn't had the free time. Mm-hmm. So you know, I like. So I, I kind of got all the reloading stuff out recently. I was mm-hmm. able to do some reloading that I'd been neglecting for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and I got to get back into some graphic design stuff that I hadn't really been playing with as much. Yeah. Lately. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of fun. It's been kind of fun to have a little bit of extra free time on your hands. Yeah. yeah. I've been picking up archery, thanks to Cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, bought his old bow. Yeah. Been plinking around some arrows. Ready for hunting season. Ready for hunting. Not right. yet. Only if a deer's at 20 yards. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get pretty dang close. Never say never, man. It just oh. means you got to be a better hunter. Cliff, he's out there hunting at 60 yards and this and that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be that good. You just, I mean, 60 yards. Just get yards, closer. Yeah. Just yeah, it's easy. Just sneak. It's oh, easy. Like, you got to be sneakier. Yeah. A lot sneakier. <clears throat> really, a 60-yard shot in, an arch- in archery is... Far. It, yeah, and it's forty. Almost, I feel like is the, it's, it's is deemed the, like almost 
even to the extent of like saying it's almost an unethical shot. Yeah. Because oh, there's sure. so much variables between the arrow leaving your bow to the animal being able to I mean it just moves a little bit and it's completely not where you yeah. aimed it. Yeah, then yeah. you have a bad shot. Well, and range. I've been reading too, but most guys that hunt at longer ranges, they're like I'm practicing at 120 to shoot a deer at 60. So they're doubling their range of practice to Well, I mean being able to shoot at those long distances is one thing, but like to Cliff's point, you don't know what that animal is going to do cuz it takes a second for that arrow to get from 60 yards to the point of impact, and so you don't know if that that deer could get spooked and lunge forward, lunge backwards, duck, jump, and yeah. all of a sudden you have you had a, a really good shot, and you lined up a good shot placement, but now your arrow's off and it it hits it bad, and then you know that's just not like yeah. you say, it doesn't end up being it's, fun. Bo- it's bordering on unethical. Yeah, in my yeah, opinion, I yeah. think the if you take like bow hunter safety courses or even. Uh, like archery instructor courses it says like what's the most ethical shot and they put it at like 15 to 20 yards and i'm uh, like that seems like extremely close even to me yeah 15 seems really i would close. say 40 would probably be about my max yeah. of where i'm mm-hmm. comfortable like 20 to 40 mm-hmm. yeah yeah that 20 to 40 is where i spend most of my time practicing yeah. Is that, that's kind of your sweet zone. If you if you get to twenty, you're you're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. But most likely, most likely you're gonna be back at 30, 40 yeah. yards. Yeah. Now, if I can practice at longer distance, I do because yeah, I still like I still like to do like three D shoots, like at tack and stuff. And some of those targets will push it. They'll push them out like hundred and sixty yards, and it's just fun to see if you can hit it. Mm-hmm. Well, the good point. thing about practicing at those long distances is it, it really amplifies any of those little mistakes mm-hmm. that you make, like the little little movements in your bow hand, the little movements in your release hand, and you know, you know all those kinds of things. It really amplifies them so you can really yeah, see Yeah, a centimeter at the bow can be yeah. inches at the target. A foot. foot yeah. 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 So, we, oh man, we got a lot of questions. I'm going to pick one more and then call it uh, the last question for today, and I'll save some of these for next week because there's some really good questions. Who's the strongest? What does everyone do to stay in shape for the outdoors? Yeah, I don't. Everyone's looking at Greg. I feel like that. <laughs> I feel like because I'm, I'm the strongest. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that question is really subjective because it doesn't really take in consideration like body types. Like, I'm fairly tall and thin. <laughs> Clip just dead-eyed Greg again. The, we're all different. We're all different sizes and shapes. It's not a one size fits mm-hmm. all. I think Greg can probably pull back more poundage on a bow than I could. I mean, he shoots trad, and that I what's trad? Shoot traditional, yeah. So like I, a recurve longbow. I shoot, like, yeah. oh, I shoot okay. a recurve, gotcha. about a sixty pound recurve and a fifty pound longbow. I shoot a sixty pound compound, right, with an eighty percent let off. So yeah. So I mean, it's hard at the beginning, and then it like. Then it's like out. just resting there and right out. But on the same token, like, are you talking about like hiking with a pack? Right. Because I walk around all the time with a twenty pound weight in my backpack mm-hmm. just for fun. fun. Yeah, that sound just fun. because like I yeah. I like to push it and I use that as like a training for like hiking into places. Yeah, uh, I feel like there was there was some kind of like contradiction between those two. Like like I may not be able to carry it. Back. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, did you kind of feel like that's yeah. what you, you said? Can pull, that's not you what I mean. You can pull a bow, but I carry a big, heavy pack all day. 
I, that's kind of what I. Yeah. That's not what I mean. <laughs> no, we don't. Just, I, I know. I'm just. I'm just. I'm, I just think like this. This question is, could be like really subjective. Yeah. It depends on what your goals are. Mm-hmm. For sure. I yeah, can row. Like, yeah. I'll oh, take yeah. the row. I'll take the. I'll take winning at rowing all day. Landon can row literally yeah. all day long too. I row in all zigzags day. when I try, and then I'm done in like 15 minutes. <laughs> right. For me, yeah. I got like two hours, and I'm like, my hands hurt. But think about my all that extra water hurt. you cover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <I feel> like, <laughs> all the water. Exactly. Like, hey, we're fishing both banks now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. What do you guys do to work out? I do like a lot of walks. Sometimes run. Yeah. I walk with a weight vest. I used to do a lot of backpacking, so it's just about like getting time with weight on your back. Yeah, that's that's it. I I like to throw the the pack on, put a couple of gallons of water in it, go for a walk around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like that. It's tough to do it in the summer here, but I really like trail running. I'm not a runner. I either. No, see, I'm, I'm, yeah. I absolutely hate running, yeah. but trail running because it's at like a slower pace and it's more like through the te- woods. Technical, you know what I mean? Because yeah. like you're going up and down, like it's like mountain biking versus road biking. Where you're right. road biking, you're just going really fast in a straight line. You have a little bit more technicality, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, I feel perfectly fine going at a slower pace when trail running, absolutely. and it's like easier in your joints and stuff as well. But um, it's tough to do it in the summer here because it does get so hot. Oh, yeah, but mm-hmm. but even everything we just said, trail running, putting a pack on, all I, that is going to help your hunting, and all that's going to help your fishing because yeah. fishing is about you park, Endurance. you walk, right? You know, hunting's about you sit. You might try to stalk an animal, or you might try to cover a lot of ground to find an animal. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, if you do anything, it's good. If you're getting your heart rate moving, that's going to help. For sure. If you're not sitting on the couch, you're doing a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. See. Hey, and sometimes sitting on the couch, you're still doing a good thing. Oh, man. I love sitting on the couch. Right. Hey, do what you want to do. That's what I'm doing when I go home. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you do what you want to do, and what you want to do is watch stuff on TV, you can't complain. When you're out hunting, it hurts. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Well, you got to have that. You got to be able to gut it out too, because that's yeah. that's kind of like a thing. Sometimes you can train for a lot of stuff, but you know, sometimes you just got to do it. You, you can't go. really train for a week long elk hunt in the mountains. I feel not like not here yeah. because the elevation, yeah. just well, the thinner air makes it hard. Yeah, but most people can't go hike all day for a week straight. You know, there's going to be a little bit of willpower involved. Oh, gotta, yeah. Gotta, like, and like that third or fourth day, you're going to get up and you're going to be sore and you're going to yeah. be like, all right, got to hike another 15, 20 miles. Yeah. And and I, I gotta, think it also depends on like how you like to hike. Like, for sure. We said, me and him, I like to take it. I'm very slow and methodical, but I can carry a lot of, a lot of weight for a longer period of time than just busting out and running down the trail. Yeah. I like to take my time, dissect what's going on around me. So I'm not missing it because, I mean, if you're running, you're missing signs all around you that there could be animals. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm definitely a slow hiker. Yeah. Put it in low gear and just go. Ian, what about you, man? Do you do any exercise or what do you like to do? Yeah, man. I've got some pretty big hills in my neighborhood in the hill country. So I walk. When I'm prepping, I try and do it like a few months before. I'll go walk like four or five miles two or three times a week. Uh. It, with my boots on, uh, just to get them, like if I have new boots, to get them prepped. Um, and then I try and do weights, uh, like, twice a week, although you can't tell by looking at me. So. Wait, did you um, say weights or raids? 
wait. He, he raids like a Viking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go raid. I go raid like, you know, the neighbors and World people of Warcraft. like that. World uh, Warcraft, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I, I knew it was yeah. like that. Oh, no, man. but I try and um, just do motions. Like, pre-COVID, I did, like, a lot of rows and stuff like that. And pull-ups, push-ups, calisthenics. Um, yeah. I hate the term, but functional movement. And I, but I think like the old point, the overall thing is like just get, like whatever you're gonna do, try and get your cardio up. Yeah, you know, try and get stronger. Don't stress yourself out though. Just, and if you, you know. can fish every day, go fish every day because you're walking and getting yeah. a lot of miles in. Yeah. I mean, that's a workout. So well, caps too. Oh, God, yeah. You know, yeah, like it, like everyone's like, oh, swinging eight weights all day is gonna be easy. After if you go on a two to three or four day trip. It is exhausting after that, you know, so, yeah. It, I never thought it would be. It is. Like, on day four, you're like, oh, my arm. Yeah, well, we're going to move on. Thanks, Ian. We're going to move on to, uh, we're going to start with Cliff's Conservation Corner. So, today, we are opting not to play a little zinger or whatever you want to call it because our Conservation Corner this week is going to be a little solemn. So, this past Saturday, August 8th, 2020, uh, TPWD uh, in Texas lost three of its finest. Uh, While conducting an aerial survey of the Texas uh, desert bighorn population within the Black Gap uh, Wildlife Management Area, which is out there pretty much right next door to Big Ben. Mm -hmm. And TPWD is Texas Parks and Wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. in a form of, uh, suffered a helicopter crash. Um, three lives were lost during it. Um, and there was a fourth one that was severely injured, but he didn't die. Uh, the parish ones include uh, a wildlife biologist, Dewey Stockbridge, a fish and wildlife technician, uh, Brandon White, and a state wildlife vet, veterinarian, Bob. Ditmar, D-I-T-T-M-A-R. Um, the accident is still undergoing investigation, but I do know, I don't know this is what caused it, but I know the area. Uh, there's a lot of canyons and stuff, and when they're counting the desert bighorn sheep and stuff like that, they're having to fly low into these areas, and it's a lot of technical flying Um I, do, I can't say for sure what happened, but it would be my assumption that he probably lost a little bit of control and clipped a canyon wall or something like that, and it, it went down. And again, that's my assumption. It's currently so still many, being... Yeah, there's so many things that could have gone yeah. wrong. Uh, or it, a mechanical failure yeah, or it's something hard to like that. Right. Uh, it's, like I said, it's still underneath investigation by... Uh, <clears throat> Texas uh, police officers uh, all across the board. I think even some national like agencies are looking into it. Yeah, and, I'm sure the FAA is involved. Yeah, and uh, involved, yeah. Texas Parks and yeah. Wildlife uh, game wardens are looking into yeah. it to see what called well help caused it. The pilot is the only one who survived, um, and he was transported to a hospital in El Paso. Okay. Mm. So to Is he like treatment. stable? 
I didn't. They didn't say where he was in the uh, like scheme of critical condition to stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounded like he was pretty critical when he got there, but I don't know where he's at now. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, I think that I I have seen text parks while I've come together a lot of this and a lot of this, and that's really cool to see when a situation like this happens. Just really sad. Yeah. But it gives you a real appreciation for what those people do, though. I mean, they're out there day in and day out monitoring these mm-hmm. wonderful natural resources that we have. And, you know, sometimes they have to put themselves in danger's way. You mm-hmm. know, helicopters aren't the, aren't, aren't the safest thing, especially when you talk about flying in canyons and things like that. But they got to do what they got to do. And, it's you know, they were doing something they loved, mm-hmm. monitoring a resource that was important and to Texas. And they cared about those animals. They cared about them. So, and, you know, it's it's, yeah. a, it's a really sad situation, but... Uh, you know, they were doing something they really loved. So yeah, that's, for sure. That's really, uh, that's a good takeaway. We have a lot of lot of people out there doing a lot of good stuff for the state and uh, putting themselves in harm's way, whether they're law enforcement or not, for the betterment of our natural resources. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there's probably some funds out there for the families in some way. So oh, sure. I'll I look into that. There, there are GoFundMe pages yeah. out there for we'll the families. Po- we'll post the those families. in the show notes if you guys are so inclined that you want to make a donation, then... It'll be easily accessible in the podcast notes. Right. So, moving on to our next topic is going to be Zach's Creature Watch. All right, so we're going to play the sound. Now. Now it's no longer serious. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) we're moving on. It's hard to follow that, but... All right, guys. So, for this week's Creature Corner... Creature Corner? I'm going to rename it in here. What, What... I call it it's a creature, creature watch. watch. Oh, it's creature watch. Dang. Oh, that's because it's Cliff's Conservation creature Corner and Creature Watch. Dang. It's my own segment, too. <laughs> um, okay, so staying on our cave theme for the day, we're going to be talking about reptilians. Like lizard people? Like lizard people. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure Greg has some great input on this. Oh, oh yeah. Well, we'll see. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what story he's going to tell. I don't want to, you know, give away too much. Okay. So, the reptilian, we can't let out. a.k.a. the reptoids, the lizard people, the saurians, or the draconians. It's also known as the re- reptilian conspiracy theory because they're known to be shapeshifters who control <laughs> the earth to manipulate societies. And create Facebook? Yes. Some notable accusees are Dick Cheney, George W., and Obama. Really? Yeah. Obama's ears are way too big to be a lizard person. (laughs) Probably so. So people accuse... Oh, my gosh. Anyway. So... Oh, my gosh. Anyways. Anyways. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Continue. The first time they were ever talked about the Serpent Men in 1929... It was published in The Weird Tales. It is old enough to be... Believable. Believable. Because we determined that the Chupacabra last week being started in 1995 was not believable. Yeah, that blew my mind. It seems like that's always been a thing, but 95. Yeah, that's what they said. It took off. I will say that. (laughs) It was like, remember, remember, like... (laughs) It was people like, I gotta hear more about this Chupacabra. Chupacabra. (laughs) But then, so, like, it does seem like it's been around forever, but then you hear 95 and you're like, no. (laughs) But I started thinking after listening to last week's podcast is, I think we should do a podcast research team where we all go to a county fair 
and pay the man his five bucks to go into his dark <laughs> tent and see the chippecabra. Okay. And yeah, put no, that one to rest and yeah. then go to the rattlesnake roundup because I really want to do that. Well, yeah, we, can do yeah, that. we need to go to every state fair until we find the right chupacabra man. There's no dark tent at a county fair I'm going into. <laughs> That's what I said. I feel like the dude Dude, I'm with FBI Greg. <laughs> I'm with Greg. No way, so man. So tell me you it's wouldn't pay the button. $5 to see a real chupacabra. I would not pay $5 to go into a dark tent at a state fair. <laughs> county <laughs> fair. Not even, not even or, county county or county fair. County fair. <laughs> there's, no, there's no dark tent I would pay money to go into. <laughs> Just so, 19, across the board. So, so 1929, Yeah, Jack. it was published in Weird Tales. Uh, is that like a magazine or a publication you I'm can sure, still buy? I don't think you can still buy Like, it. I'm going to rest in peace borders to find I'm, this book. I'm sure it had weird <laughs> things back then, you know? Who knows? Like, the jackalope and stuff were in there, but... Um, the creatures might also be an alien, and they are known to be blood-sucking and man-eating. Chip Cobra. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Sightings happen every so often, but I have Jerry's story to bring to you guys. Okay. Who's Jerry? Jerry's a man. Okay. Yep. I, know, I know Jerry now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. Jerry's a man who sent a letter online. I think they changed his name because people thought he was crazy, but I'm, it said Jerry. We're going with Jerry. So, in 95, Jerry just wouldn't have some experience with some cavers, and he got really into it, and he started caving on his own. And one time, he decided, oh, I'm going to go check out these caves in Missouri. So when he's down there, he realized he heard weird motorized sounds and talking coming from toward the end of the cave. So he's like, oh, what are these weird things? Maybe that's another person. I'm going to go check it out. So he notices that there's a big room in the cave that's pretty well lit. And he's like pretty far into the cave. And when he gets in there, he sees that it's a golf cart looking vehicle. With no wheels. So, as he's checking out this golf cart alien ship thing, he hears the weird motorized sounds coming and talking, coming his way. And he is quoted as saying that this creature was no man. It was, in fact, a seven-foot-tall, brown, scaly, alien creature, lizard, lizard person, with a ridge that went from the top of his head down his spine. He was also... Wearing a metallic gold outfit with shoes and a belt. He's got style. He does. Yep. <laughs> He's ready to go to a studio 54. <laughs> He's got a four to five foot long tail, and he has an oval-shaped bag on his back. So, obviously, he was going somewhere. Oval? You say oval-shaped bag? An oval-shaped bag. Oh, well, that's totally different than all the lizard people I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> they, all, they all had square-shaped bags. I don't know. <laughs> he, you know, there's a golf cart underground with no wheels on it. And a bunch of mechanized I mean, sounds, I've seen probably a some lot weird of smells. I'm guessing it's a laboratory of some sort. Well, yeah, I'm going with lab. I've seen a lot of trucks in people's front yards with no wheels on them as yeah, well. Yeah, so, true. like, maybe the golf cart was just there. So, he, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't moving. They didn't say it had nothing was to do with the lizard people. Just, there was a golf cart there. <laughs> So Jerry had a camera with him, and he was able to take some bad photos. Of course they're bad photos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said, uh, and in fact, he even said that the creature posed for the camera whenever he bust, busted it out. So I don't know why they're blurry, and there's no pictures online anywhere. You think he you, would want to share this one? You didn't thing. see the pictures, Zach? No, I did not. Oh. Um, after he posed for a couple shots, the creature hissed at Jerry, and he backed away slowly and left. 
What pose was the creature doing? No, I don't know. Like a, a peace sign? Maybe like an over-the-shoulder back like, at him? Back at Yeah. Blue steel. That's yeah, how he was able to tell what the backpack shape Classic, was. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. but you guys are going to like this part. So, after a few years, he was like, I want to go check on those lizard people. He went back, but the cave is now government property. Of course it is. Yeah. Ooh. So, um... If you guys would like more info on the lizard people, there is an author named David Icky, Ike, I don't know how to say his last name, but he is he was he is in charge of making the lizard people go crazy in the 90s like everyone wanted to know more about the lizard people and he wrote a book called Children of the Matrix: How an Interdimensional Race Has Controlled the World for Thousands of Years and Still oh, Does. Man. So, hmm. Mm. I mean, there. Greg, what are your thoughts? Being no. a caver. Well, there's nothing I can disclose at this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cliff? <laughs> wow. I'm, are... I'm very uncomfortable right now. He's getting a little too close to home. <laughs> I will say there's a lot of videos and stuff like on YouTube. Grant, I'm not saying that I believe in lizard people. But there are a lot of... <laughs> but. <laughs> That's a big but right there. But, it's but if you want to like look into like more of like the conspiracy theory side of it, there are a lot of like videos on like YouTube of like uh, Mark Zuckerberg's eyes like during his uh, oh. congressional thing. He may not be a lizard person. <laughs> He's definitely a little weirdo. Cyborg, <laughs> interdimensional traveler. I don't know. Something. Something ain't yeah. right there. Come on. But the, the, there's tons of videos and stuff on uh, YouTube of, like, lizard people. Yeah, because it's, it's a huge conspiracy thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of stuff on Ian, there. what do you think? you have any thoughts? On what that thing was? Yeah, what's a, what, what's a lizard person? Dude, I mean, the fact that it was, he was able to go there and then he goes back and it's government property, I mean, like, come on. Facts. Um, that just yeah. says everything you need to know. Yeah. Right? Like, th- exactly. Like, says, like, think about that. Like, what are the chances of... How, does it say how long it was in between visits? I think two to three years. Yeah. Oh, man. It's everything yeah. you need to know right um, there. Yeah. Right? The government doesn't move that saying. fast on anything. That's what I'm saying, Greg. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, <laughs> no, exactly, Greg. That's what I'm saying. It's good. That's a good yeah. Oh. Total, gov- total cover up there. All right. Well, let's move on to our next segment called I'm renaming it again. I think I come up with a new name each time called On Patrol. I feel like I bring a real joie de vivre to law enforcement. For example, uh, my uniform, I do not wear the regulation uniform. I wear these uh, shorts here. And I actually had to lobby the sheriff's department to get permission to wear these. But my argument was, hey, I'm out there in the streets every day. I got to be able to move like a cheetah. Like a Law enforcement cheetah. So, staying on the ta- topic of caving, kind of. Uh, Ironton police say they caught two young men red-handed right after a break-in with stolen items along with drugs. Mark Swade's garage doubles as his workshop and man cave. Okay. All right. Yeah. We throw darts, maybe drink a cold beer, he said. Thieves broke into his garage in the alley, stealing thousands of dollars worth of items, including tools, a microwave, and fridge. Police say because of problems recently in the area, officers have been patrolling late at night 
and early in the mornings. Uh, around 4.30 Tuesday morning, an officer saw two men in the alley carrying items and hauling a trash can that turned out to be full of Swedes' stolen property. Police say the two men also had meth and heroin. So it, they broke into a man cave. A man cave, yeah. Okay. That's, that's the correlation between caving. If you were going to hide out somewhere, like, is a cave a good option? <sighs> yes. Like, if these guys broke into a man cave, stole all the stuff, and took it to a cave to hide it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some places, there's some caves I would go to to hide out at, for sure. Yeah, the like, problem is, though, all the other cavers that I know would all end up there. Like, say... Uh, an, an apocalyptic situation, right? You know, oh, and all the other cavers I know would end up at, at some of those same caves. Well, so. on that same point, yeah. I heard an interesting thing about the apo- apocalyptic. You know, a lot of people build stuff in South Dakota, and they have all their bunkers and stuff there. But if that's where all the people are going during an apocalypse, that's probably not the place you'd want to be. Right. And those people are heavily armed and, you right. know, ready for business. Yeah, no, you don't go there. And they tend to kick it off sooner than everyone else, too. Continuing with the story, he said, if I caught them, I might have taken the law into my own hands. He hasn't got all this property back. But uh, it appears that these may have had two trips to his man cave because they took so much stuff and all of it it was found. So, I mean, what is he out of? I mean, come on, let's be realistic in a man cave. What is he out? He's out like a couple folding chairs. Maybe like a Miller Lite sign off the wall. But what if there's a Peyton Manning signed jersey? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, still not worth much. Yeah. Uh, There's like, there's not a lot of good stuff. You know, there's like the stackable plastic chairs and maybe like some red Solo cups. I mean, what's what? What, what, are, what do we got in our man cave? Yeah. But the most expensive right. thing is the TV. Yeah, it's got yeah, a, for sure. yeah did they yeah. get the TV? Yeah, they oh, got. Oh, they the got. TV. The, oh, well, yeah. yeah. Unless I'd he's a fancy too. guy and he's got something signed by a by some sort of sports figure. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah, I mean, I only picked that story because it was a man cave, slightly related <laughs> to a cave. But I did in my research find some stories. A lot of people have stolen like ancient. You know, human remains. Oh yeah, that's like that's fourteen thousand year old human remains yeah. that are like the oldest remains. You know, in specific areas. Absolutely, and, yeah. And like they steal them from caves. They steal them from the cave because I guess mm-hmm. researchers leave them down there so they can be studied in their environment. Yeah, and, and they do a lot of carbon dating with right. the stalagmites and stalactites. Uh, there's some carbon dating that's done with those. There's some different. Uh, not to get too sciencey, but some different isotopes that they use to really kind of narrow down on some sciences with, that they get from stalagmites. But uh, yeah. yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of caves, especially in Mexico and Central America, South America. You know where the kind of the Mesoamerican Mayas, Incas, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just every cave you go into is going to have human remains and uh, yeah. archaeological artifacts. Yeah, I saw a amazing. ton of articles with that stuff. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, I tried to find one where the guy got caught or someone got, yeah. and they just, there was one in Utah that, you know, they had remains of someone from just like the old oldest remains in Utah, basically. Yeah, yeah. there's there's some countries that do a better job than others. Uh, the United States does a pretty good job keeping control over those things. But like, say, here in Texas, there are... A, a number of well known caves we'll call them that have human remains uh, Native American artifacts Native American paintings things of that nature that exist on private land and don't uh, they're not protected by anybody the landowners themselves 
closely protect them and don't tell anybody about them, and they're very guarded about it. But, uh, you know, if that land changes hands, then what? I yeah. Know. So, anyways. So, moving on, Ian. We're going to move on to Ian's segment called Neat Things in Nature. That's pretty neat. Sorry, I was eating a, a butter cracker. That's no. pretty neat. So if you hear a crunch, <laughs> hey, let's do the sound bite one more time for Greg. Neat things in nature. That's pretty neat. I just thought it was funny because when he said he ate a peanut butter cracker, yeah. cracker, he goes, "That's pretty neat." It's like yeah, up. that was pretty good. That was, that was well, well timed, sir. Good job. Thank you. Um. Okay. So I was trying to find information about animals that lived in caves and there's actually a surprising amount of interesting and strange animals that do there's something that and greg please shout out if you've uh, ran into any of these there's something called the cave wolf spider which is endangered um it's it called a what like say it, that again ian it's the the cave wolf spider cave have you ever heard spider. of this greg um maybe not by that name yeah, it's yeah. Apparently, it's um, it doesn't have eyes, like at all, hmm. and it's like a land-dwelling cave-only creature. Um, it's like through just one cave system, and they they hunt down their prey without eyes, which is really interesting. Um, there's yeah. a lot of cave-dwelling rat snakes. Have you ever? Do they have those in Texas? So most of the snakes that we see that are in caves are in kind of the, the entrance area we call the twilight area or the twilight zone of the cave where it's still enough light. That's really the main place uh, creatures exist. And they go in there after my, mouse and mice and stuff like that. So I don't, I've, I've never seen a cave-adapted snake. That's that's pretty interesting. Mm. Yeah, there's cave-adapted snakes. There are um, Texas blind salamanders. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, and they've got their gills outside, on the outside. Um, they're like crimson in color. Are they? <laughs> they're endangered, yep. right? <laughs> Actually, there is there is a little bit of history uh, in the uh, in San Marcos area. There's a cave up there, and it is it was known through history by one of the original owners to they would go down to the bottom of the cave where the water table was exposed and like scoop out salamanders to use as fishing bait. Oh my gosh! So yeah. Well, even in the not so all, much anymore. All the ones that we've been into, I've noticed like there's like little beetles and stuff crawling all over the ceiling. Yeah, have you seen the mummy? The beetles that like get into your skin and the scarabs. Yeah, yeah, you got to be careful for those guys. Yeah, they'll get under. Yeah, they'll get under <laughs> they'll your get under skin. You. Under your skin, yeah. quick. It'll be quick. You got squat, swat them fast, man. And you have bug guts in your arm. Mm, yeah. How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out. Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at cox.com slash contour. 
Ian, anything else neat? Any other neat things? There's there's a bunch of things that I can't pronounce. Um, yeah. Like, re- like really, like, Ahasera, uh, H-A-U-S-E-R-A. It looks like it's an invertebrate. I'm not 100% sure. You see a lot Class of invertebrates or, in caves. Yeah, that's, I mean. Yeah, for, yeah, is that pretty common? I'm not, I have no experience caving. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably one of the more common things they see, you know, little invertebrates of different types. And, uh, oh, there's, there's uh, a number of cave adapted fish and, yeah, like crayfish. And, and, you know, you, I say a cave adapted fish, and, you know, us as fishermen and outdoorsmen think like a, a 12 inch catfish well a cave adapted catfish is this little tiny thing right uh, you know they don't get really huge. the brookie of the catfish world <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> they're they're not they're not much to look at now those, those fish though they have they been there for just like thousands of years sort of thing or like how do they how do they start there that's probably a question for uh, a biologist. Dang, man. Uh, Can you just make something up? I, oh, yeah. So, you know, back in about 1936. <laughs> Dang, I would have thought. You know, <laughs> I thought uh, yeah, some, someone who released some cave catfish. The lizard people. At Ocarina Springs. <laughs> and they just uh, permeated throughout the world through the cave systems. Throughout the world. And, uh, yeah, throughout the world. They just they swam under the ocean to all the other caves in, like, Asia and and India and all those places. But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it took them about, about 10 or 15 years to lose all their eyes and pigmentation. So it, it's a pretty it's a pretty fast thing, yeah. <laughs> it's like you're dark for a couple of days. Yeah, and just it's like, boom, done. Eyes, no eyes. Do you have a question? I want to point out something to the podcast listeners real quick. What color clothes did you say the lizard people were wearing? Gold, metallic. Metallic, Metallic, shiny. so like silverish, shiny. Like gold metallic. Not uh, silvery. Because silver I was going to say it'd match your shoes pretty well. Yeah, they do. Because you're wearing some snazzy Those silver. Those are some sweet kicks. Jordans. Silver shoes. Yeah, they're actually replicas of the first shoes I ever had when I was a kid. My parents spent way too much money on Jordans. What shape is your backpack? <laughs> it's oval. It's oval. Oval-like. Oh. But it's got a flat down. bottom. I would oh. actually say it's more egg, like oblongish. Yeah. Flat bottom. Okay, he's good. Flat it's bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> now you should take a picture with your flash on. Ooh, I'm going Ooh. to. All right, so, let's continue. Not, not, okay. worth it, not worth it. So let's dive into some caves. So I've been in a cave with Greg. Yeah. Oh, wait, let's talk about this. What? So how did you get into caving? Well, my my involvement in caving started mostly as kind of a a need for employment. Actually, I started. I was always kind of interested in caves, and I'd been in a couple here and there, but then Ooh. I got a job at Natural Ridge Caverns as a uh, trail development technician. So I was like, you know, the trails, if you've ever been in a show cave of any kind or a tourist cave, they have concrete trails with handrails and lights and things like that. Well, somebody's got to put those there, and I was doing that. So I was digging tunnels and drilling and blasting and concreting and etc. Mm-hmm. And so I got exposed to the caving world, got to be spent a lot of time obviously in a cave, you know, 40, 40 50 hours a week and uh, really enjoyed it. And the, that cave is really, it's a beautiful air place and I worked there for about a year and I never got tired of being there. Which cave? Uh, that was Natural Bridge. Okay. Natural yeah. Bridge Caverns. Yeah. Gorgeous. God, absolutely oh, yeah. fantastic place. Uh, it's crazy that it's right here too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a beautiful cave. It's a huge cave. They're still exploring it they just recently found some new cave there. It's kind of unprecedented. but uh, So through that, 
I got kind of learned about caving, met some of the, some really cool cavers through that, and then I didn't really do much for the next year or two. And at my current job, uh, a project came up where somebody wanted to do some air sampling, but they were there was they were going to do an air sampling rig that was going to go on go to Mars or something like that. The closest thing on Earth that they could replicate Mars to was caves. And they couldn't find any of the other technical staff, technicians at work that were willing to go in caves and help the project and take air samples. Someone found out that I used to work at a cave, and they were like, hey, you, let's go caving. <laughs> I was like, yes, please, that would be fantastic. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I got involved with the caving community in Texas. And, yes, it's a community there's about... Uh, four or five hundred people in whoa okay in so pretty Texas. Size. yeah you know there's different levels of involvement and activity right. of course like with any community there's your armchair cavers and there's your hardcore cavers and and everything in between where would you put yourself uh as of recently i'm i'm kind of starting to go more in the armchair area uh, is that because of covid or just in general because i know we went a good number of times between the end of last year to the beginning of yeah, this year. Yeah, you know, that, that's a good point. I think it's more COVID-related because I've just, I haven't been real motivated to kind of push the envelope to get out and push for some of the access to get to the caves and, you know, things like that. Before that, I mean, I was, I would cave, go caving a couple times a month. You know, I'd go on a, on a week, weekend, over the weekend trip, two or three times a month, quite a bit. So I was going pretty often. Yeah. But when I... You know, so I think of a hardcore caver. There's people that are going and spending uh, like days underground on these long, extended expeditions and things like that. And that's and they're going into alpine locations and they're, you know, it's it's really, really. Like they're bringing next all level. their camping yes. stuff for like five or to seven days. Yeah. So mm. like you know, you go backpacking, you've got all your stuff, but it's just doing that underground. So so when they do that, are they kind of like do they? Do they set up, like, a home base and then just, like, explore every day? Yeah. Or do they just, like, take their stuff a little bit further, a little bit further every day? Uh, it, it can it can vary, but most of the time on those big organized expeditions, they will take and set up a base camp yeah. underground and then kind of maybe do some satellite camps with smaller groups that go off. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, and it, it just kind of depends on the caving system and what it takes to get where they're going. Yeah. And, and base camp might move. But most of the caving, someone like I've done or, you know, uh, Landon's gone with them, cliff over here it's a day trip you know you'll go and you'll be out of there for eight ten hours something like that and i couldn't imagine crawling through there with a backpack on like the, the like a camping backpack uh well because some of those spots no. get super tight so you're still using a, a very specialized there's there's a, a whole array of very specialized gear that we use in caves uh the packs like your general backpacking bag has got a lot of straps and buckles and you know, hang things that are hanging off everywhere and it's typically like a real lightweight nylon, like a ripstop. In caving, we use real heavy-duty, uh, like PVC-coated canvases or PVC-coated uh, materials, so they're real slick but real durable. And are they real heavy? Uh, the packs themselves are not particularly heavy. I mean, they're heavier than a ripstop bag, right? But uh, they're typically kind of they kind of roll top like a dry bag does. Yeah. So it's just a, a tube that you stuff all your stuff mm -hmm. in, you roll it down. You so you say it just slides through yeah. everything. Yeah, you just through. drag it through. It's typically got a couple of attachment points, so when you're repelling or whatever, that you know you have somewhere to attach to. Yeah. And you know they're very basic, very rugged. Rugged is the name of the game when you're underground, because when you're under there, everything is sharp. 
where everything is super muddy and wet or it's just it's a, it's, a, it's an environment to really put your gear to the test yeah mm. so yeah I, I don't know if I answered your question but uh, yeah I no no lot, you, you so. did you did so that's how you got into caving yeah um, what um what maybe this question is too early but I was gonna say what is some essential gear that you oh. bring every single time. Well, I mean, there there's the the essentials that everyone takes. Right. Like you don't go caving without three sources of light, a helmet, water, um, you know, any kind of gear that you would need to protect yourself from the elements in the cave, whether it be a cold cave or a hot cave, and so on and so forth. Uh, things like that. Maybe a little bit of food, depending on the length of the trip, you know. And then you can start getting into stuff like bringing, make sure you have say medications so like say if you need uh, an inhaler right. you know I've been on a trip where someone didn't bring their inhaler and it got pretty sketchy Man, real honest. Yeah. And you've also been on a trip where someone didn't change their insulin pump batteries yeah yeah we've done that <laughs> we, we won't we won't talk about who that is but he's not sitting next to me that's for sure <laughs> so but no I mean when you're when you're isolated so far underground and a far far away from help and you're hours away from the single entrance and then still maybe another hour away from civilization you have to make sure you have everything you need right. so it's essential gear to get in and out of a cave light light is the number like one of the number one things if you don't have light you can't go down there you can't even get in the cave because right. there is no natural no natural light in a cave once you get about 20 feet in and so beyond that, you know, some food, water, kind of typical things you'd take on a day hike, um, a map, or maybe somebody that knows their way around the cave. That's pretty essential, especially if you're going to be in a bigger cave or like the, like the cave we went in, Landon. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you can get turned around in there pretty quick. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. there's, I mean, you knew the route, but like if someone went in there and started going around turns, because there were like multiple branches where things split off and you could go different directions. It goes everywhere, yeah. I mean, it's not a, it's as far as that cave's footprint, it doesn't take up a lot of area, but there's more than, you know, there's way more, more than a mile's worth of caving. If you took all the passage and, and you know, set it end to end, you'd have a, more, a mile, a mile and some change of length, but. You crisscross that, interlace that, and give it some multiple levels. It gets really easy to get turned around, especially when everything is dirt colored. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, it kind of looks the same. Yeah, and it's kind of dark, and you get a little tired and stressed out. Yeah. So, yeah, as far as essential gear, I mean the the light. I mean if you if you don't have a good a couple good solid lights, good footwear. Footwear is really important. Good solid footwear. Now yeah. I will say, speaking of footwear, and caving. Yeah. Your boots. I had the exact same boots, and I believe mine blew out because of caving. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily wear those caving. Well, so, I wore those caving, and I've had those boots since I was a backpacking guide for, like, years, and they haven't blown out yet. I will tell but you. But I only I did, went one time. Right, and I went a good enough times to make me feel like I wanted to buy a helmet. Yeah. That when I bought it, COVID happened, and we ain't gone since. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll definitely go somewhere. But foot, caving footwear... That like the good caving shoe is like the holy grail. I tell you what, I've I've been caving for about a decade now, Masumenos, you know, in a kind of an organized manner with the, some of the organizations here in Texas, and I've tried a bunch of different footwear, uh, everything from Converse to combat boots, um, work boots, uh, it's kind of everything in between, and every one of them lack in some way. 
there's one there's one shoe that's it's a a canyoneering shoe that uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. But I can see a canyoneering shoe yeah. being pretty ideal for yeah. A so I mean, uh, knowing can- how they're built, yeah. So a canyoneering boots built really sturdy. It's got good rubber that's good on wet mm-hmm. kind of muddy surfaces. Yeah, because it's like waterproof too. Yeah, right? but, like and it's, but it's good for walking on different angles, yeah. and it's not super heavy. They're pretty light. Yeah, I so. would think that a rock climbing shoe would work pretty well too. Well, maybe like, so maybe like a canyoneering approach. shoe is like. A built-up rock climbing shoe. Yeah, it's like rock climbing rubber, but with lug soles like a hiking shoe. Yeah. And it's got ankle support. So, like, a rock climbing shoe is slick, really soft, sticky rubber. Right. Well, but if you step in mud, and then you go to try to put that soft, slick, slick sti- sticky rubber right on off. anything, you just it's like ice. So, and they, you know, they don't particularly have, they're like a ballerina slipper. They don't really mm-hmm. have a whole lot of ankle support. And they're not super comfortable. No, they're not. No. They're really not. But yeah, a canyoneering boot is the closest thing to like a, a perfect caving footwear. Yeah. But they're expensive mm-hmm. and they're hard to find. And just to be honest with you, you end up thrashing boots. Really? You, I mean, you're running know, through them. Yeah. So you're laying on your belly and you're crawling and you're dragging your toes. And so you wear the tops off them or, you know, you're standing in water for, 15 hours and that's just you know all the adhesives start coming apart yeah it's like canyoneering boots are a little bit better they're b- built to be in water but you know what's i've actually tried and had pretty good luck with is wading boots really but like the more like yeah. hike centric kind yeah a little bit lighter weight hiking wading boots have been pretty decent yeah because they're meant to be in that yeah. super wet environment yeah. and they're they're relatively nice hiking boots they have good traction on yeah. wet surfaces exactly not all not all caves are wet but mm-hmm. yeah they, they 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 do pretty well now, is there a season normally for caving, or is it like all year sport? Uh, you know, it kind of depends on some of your tolerances for things and and the caves themselves. So, in Texas and in um, I'm sure in other places, there are uh, caves that that will have a um, higher level of CO2 during, like, say, the summer months, and so we call that bad air in in, te- in caving. It just, it's not really bad air. It's not particularly poisonous. Uh, it can be at really high concentrations. Uh, you could pass out. Typically, you end up getting a headache and your eyes burn a little bit. and You, you feel like you're working really hard. Uh, I think uh, we may have experienced a little bit of that when we went landing. I don't know if you, did you experience that at all? That cave, the it was cave hard we went, to breathe. Yeah, the cave we went into is kind of known for having some bad air. Yeah, um, yeah, you could definitely tell. It, it wasn't like breathing fresh air. I also no. had breakfast tacos before we went in and landed stood behind me so yeah there's some some extra batter yeah some some produced batter yeah. yeah yeah and so i mean there's some different sources for batter it can be um organic matter decomposing there's some thought that or some evidence i should say that there is co2 that uh permeates out of uh, groundwater sources to kind of fill in the cave and then so during the summer months, we get some of those higher CO2 levels, and it makes it harder to be in some caves. It makes it impossible to be in other caves. But then there's, there'll be a cave right next door to it or not too far away from it uh, geologically that uh, it's not a problem, and you can just go into whenever you want. Yeah. And some you have to wear, like, hazmat suits, like the one yeah. at uh, near Natural Bridge, yeah. the one that we go to. Yeah, the Brackenback Cave. Yeah, yeah you told me that people don't really go into that one at all yeah and that's because of the high ammonia levels and and high uh and you can smell the ammonia coming from the mine shaft if you want right and that's just that's the organic matter the high organic matter load from all the bats in there the largest bat colony in 
the world. world. Yeah, I'm going to say the universe, but I don't know about maybe. That's what I was going. That was stuff. the question I was going to ask you was about that bat calling. Yeah, yeah. So what, what's what's the question? What's no, the question? just information about yeah. it. It's the world's largest bat colony. Yeah, it's yeah, and, absolutely. And uh, so it's even why the, is it the world's largest bat colony? You know, uh, there's there's other people that might be able to answer that question. I'm not really sure. Um, it's it's the largest because it's, it has the most bats. Yeah, yeah. So is it is it a really big cave? No, actually, that cave is not a particularly big cave. It is. Uh, I've been in most of it. It's not a it's not a pretty cave at all. I mean, it's it's got uh, guano or bat poop uh, drifts in it, like snow drifts, but uh, it's all just oh, you know nice. knee deep powdery. Bat poo. Knee uh, deep? Oh, yeah. Whoa. Uh, okay. Well, so there's a actually, there's been some re- some studies done where they can measure the depth of the guano to see how much cave is below it. And they say in some places it is up to 60 feet deep. No. Yeah. Wow. So that, that, that one cave. Yeah, that one cave. So that bat colony has been there for a very long time. Yeah. And there is a lot of bats in there. Uh, I've heard numbers as big as 30 million. Uh, uh, there's a documentary, if you're interested, called Dust Till Dawn on uh, Netflix, and I believe it's yeah. the very last episode, about 10 minutes in, they highlight the Bracken Bat Cave in it. So you can see it, and they show like the bats flying, or you could go to even, I think I have pictures of it on my Instagram, so you could even go to that mm-hmm. and see it. Well, shameless self-promotion. Like so, yeah. so, so I mean, the colony's so big that they, you can see it on the Doppler radar, like, coming out on you know on the weather radar really? oh, sweet. On, a, on an afternoon it, it so i know those bats migrate though yeah um do the bats always return to their same cave yes mostly yeah the ones without a vacation cave yeah okay. <laughs> so those bats will go down to mexico and that is an actually it's a uh it's a maternal colony so and they're mexican freetail they're mexican freetail bats and uh, that's that's one of the bigger species in Texas. Wait, so they're say that it's a maternal colony? Yes. So it's only females. Well, in the beginning when they when they all start coming back from Mexico, there will there will be it'll be kind of a co-ed colony. Mm-hmm. And then the males they do their things and they uh and What is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the things they they have their man cave. So they go do their man cave thing mm-hmm. and then they uh the males will go off and do other stuff, go into other smaller colonies. And they go to other caves then? Yeah. yeah oh, so go, interesting. And then, and then it will, uh, so the numbers will kind of decline, but then all the females will start having their babies, and then the numbers will come back up. And um, it's, a, it's a pretty impressive. How do you know what babies yours in a cave of 30 million bats? You know, uh, it's actually pretty impressive, but the mothers do. They they are able to come back every night and find their their babies. They have, Holy smokes! They have been able in thirty million babies and or I'm sorry in thirty million bats in there. They are able to come back, find their children, and nurse their children. And uh, and do they do like viewings at that cave where you can watch the bats fly out? Uh, there is some opportunities. They have been working with uh, Bat Conservation International owns the property around the cave. And they have been doing some opportunities to see the cave with Natural Bridge Caverns in the years past. I don't know if they're doing that anymore. I think that, that may have been a kind of a trial run. Uh, they do have some educational opportunities that they've done in the past. It's mostly kind of a member's perk. If, you know, you, you're a member of the organization, you're able to get out there. And, you know, and that's the grotto? 
No, so that's uh, so no. The Grotto is just a caving group. The, you know, we're just kind of a local caving organization. Back Conservation International is kind of like a, a backcountry hunters and anglers or any of these other groups that are they're bat centric. They are all about conserving bats, bat habitat, and you know, all they do a lot of great work around the world. But they're, I mean, they're they have a heavy presence. Uh, in, in the Bracken Bat Cave and the Austin Bat Colony mm-hmm. under Congress Street. I think, you know, they're they're housed out of Austin. So That's cool. Yeah. Really great organization. They do a lot of good work. So What's the worst cave you've ever been in? <laughs> well, there's probably a number of... So caves are what I... I, I think a lot of people have called them like to be uh, like a type A fun. So like that type A personality where things that really suck are fun. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you you feel compelled to push yourself really hard to do something that yeah. really sucks, and it's fun later. It's not fun while you're doing it; it's fun later. Yeah. So, some caves can be fun in that way, and other caves can just be really fun and relaxed and enjoyable, uh, because they're big and beautiful. Or some caves are just uh, underwater stream passage that have a lot of gorgeous formations, and they're fun because you can just sit on a boogie board and paddle your way through the cave for miles and just have a, a good time doing that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of just, they're all fun. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I know that's a really generic kind of goofy answer. Have you ever had, um, like, a, like, a scare being in a cave? Uh, like, whether it's, like, equipment failing, somebody got injured, or you were just, like, you maybe got lost. Yeah. Or you could use someone else's story, like, if you know someone. For sure. No, I mean, I've had my own experiences, for sure. Um, as far as somebody getting hurt, per se, I've I've never... Let me think about that. I, I can't say that I've been on a, a trip where somebody got hurt really, really bad, like... Uh, like call in professionals for rescue, the evac sort of thing. Yeah, I've we have been in a situation where somebody uh, like fell and maybe kind of one person she stabbed herself on a formation. It wasn't like I'm not like through the abdomen. She kind of like poked her forearm and it was kind of bleeding pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right, right, but right. we finished the day out. She's she's a trooper. You know, it wasn't bad enough to be concerned about. You know, little stuff like, like you that. You wrap it up. Yeah, it wrapped it up and kind of kept going. Uh, one time we had a. Another person fell in the cave, not really far, but she fell fell enough to where uh, the back of her head that was exposed because of uh, a, a terrible helmet design actually uh, got scratched up pretty good. That actually ended the trip, and we ended up taking off, but she was able to walk out on her own, mm. so, you know, those kinds of things. Probably the most memorable bad experience that I've had in a cave, uh, we were in, and it's called a water cave. It's basically just an underground river. And we'd been in there. It, we were hauling scuba gear to a, the back of the cave for some divers that were going to continue some exploration further in the cave. And typically you do this with a group of three or four people so you can kind of share the heavy loads. The loads get kind of heavy. And uh, We were going along, and it should have been about a three, four-hour round trip if you're kind of taking your time. Not a really long cave, but, you know, you take your time. You enjoy it. And uh, because of some equipment malfunctions, bad footwear, by the <laughs> way, some really bad footwear, um, and uh, an inhaler that was not brought along, it's something else I mentioned earlier. You know, I've been traumatized, which is why I keep bringing these things <laughs> up. That trip turned into about a 13 and a half hour trip. Yeah. 
and uh, not everyone actually ended up making it all the way to the delivery spot. We had to end up like hanging. They had to stay there on a like a gravel bar that we were able to put them on, so we could finish the last little bit because these people are counting on this gear, right? Right. And then we were able to get them back. And then actually, they one of the persons on the team had to be uh, talked into rescuing themselves out of the cave. Uh, so this cave actually took it takes two rappels to get into. And then at the bottom of the second rappel, you have a long, low crawl through some really cold water. And this cave gets particularly bad air during the summer months, so we do these trips during the winter months. So it was um, it was very cold on the yeah. surface. So we had a lot of cold air whipping down these, these uh, rappels and into this low water crawl. And so some of us have been sitting in that water for a long time, getting hypothermic while uh, these other people were messing around. Uh, because they weren't quite, they didn't quite have their stuff together. And one of the people got really cold and really freaked out and was really tired, didn't have their inhaler, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, she was just not going to climb out of the cave. So you have to climb the rope out of the cave. Right. So she was just not going to do it. And eventually, uh, we got uh, some really experienced cavers, got her calmed down, got some uh, some hot tea. I think they somebody repelled down with hot tea. Got her warmed up, got her energized. Come down with a little saucer yeah. and tea cup. Oh, yeah, man. We do first class. And uh, <laughs> and got her warmed up, got her – she ended up climbing out and everything was okay. But it was a, it was touch and go for a while. It was, it was one of the first times in my caving career that there was a point where we were – I was laying on a sandbar, freezing. All my water was gone because I had packed for a three-hour trip, and we were – you know, four times that man, and I had all my all my stuff was gone. I was freezing cold because normally you move pretty quick in these things. So the wetsuit I was wearing was kind of thin, and uh, I laid on a gravel bar and I kind of like had a moment of I don't know rapture, if you want to call it, where it was just like, well, this is it. I guess <laughs> this, this is this is it for me. Exactly. I guess yeah. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah, and you know, there was like you just, of course, then you kind of like okay, snap out of that. You you know. You, wipe the one little tear off your cheek and <laughs> suck it up and you just keep moving right yeah. and, and obviously here I am so everyone got out okay yeah. nobody was hurt um, it, it all, all's well that ends well but it, it made for a good story and a good tell that you know you gotta have your stuff together in any any situation caving or not whether it's you know hiking or whatever right you just yeah, gotta, you gotta get your gear have your gear on point be prepared so something that I do know is everyone at this table, like everyone who's been on this podcast, has been to Belize. But while most yep. of us have gone for fly fishing, Greg has actually gone specifically for caving. Have you? Yeah. Can you tell us some stories from caving in Belize? Because it's my understanding that you actually ran into like vampire bats and stuff there. <laughs> that yeah, the vampire bat uh, is one of the um, more memorable. Uh, situations in caving. Um, first of all, I will say Belize is an absolutely beautiful country. I know you, you guys have all gone for the fishing. I've gone for the snorkeling, and that beach, that beachfront Belize is absolutely amazing. Um, but once you start to get off into the jungle, out kind of nearer to the Guatemalan border, it is, it is still just absolutely mind blowing, gorgeous, and there is uh, a lot of cool stuff to see, uh, a lot of good culture out there. But yeah, we got to spend, uh, I think, something on the order of 10 or 15 days or a couple weeks uh, caving with a group from UTSA. Uh, we were down there with uh, 
a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, she's a, a geologist and she's a PhD and she's super smart. And she was doing some stuff developing a, a paleo climate uh, profile and they're able to split open uh, stalagmites because they kind of build up as layers, kind of like a, like a, tree. Like a tree ring does. Yeah. But uh, and able to get some some of those crazy sciencey isotope things out of there, uh, you know, we could go into more of that, but nobody nobody cares. Uh, people glaze over when I talk about stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, anyways, she was getting collected some of that, and we got to see a lot of really great stuff. Uh, a lot of archaeology, like I was mentioning, a lot of um, pottery. Is uh, the underworld? Because these were Mayan, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was the 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 Mayan. Uh, civilization, you know, there were lots of cool ruins and pyramids and everything everywhere you went. Uh, but the Mayans saw the caves as the entrance into the underworld, which is where their gods resided. And so the the caves were a, a holy place for them. As a matter of fact, before we started our scientific collection time, we had a guide with us. And he was kind of taking us around all the known caves. He was with the Archaeological Institute of Belize. So we were all kind of on the up and up. We weren't just like smashing and grabbing. Uh, he insisted that we had a Mayan shaman come with us and bless our trip into the caves. And it was a really neat experience. You know, he kind of said, his, said some prayers and did some, did some ceremonies in, uh, in the Mayan tongue, which I honestly had no idea what he was saying uh, but it was really interesting to see uh, the human uh, impact and the human and kind of the ritualistic nature that they uh, use the caves for. Everyone we went into, it wasn't like just one or two that we went into. It, every single cave we went into had had a meaning to them. Yeah, well, it had a meaning, but it had it was just. Did like you have to redo litter. the ritual every time? No, we just did it the one time. And uh, and we were we were square, we were square with the gods, uh, so that was cool. Uh, he kind of gave us a, a day a week pass. It was it was laminated and everything. It was real nice. <laughs> That's I mean, not to make a lie, but it, no, it was it was a really cool deal. And um, yeah, it was really interesting to see all the uh, like the pottery and the human remains and all the really cool stuff that's down there. It's there's some tourist caves that people can go see. I highly recommend. They are very worth it. Really, uh, some of the, the trips are kind of expensive. Uh, one that we went to is uh, it's called Aktun Tamich Maknal. I think I probably probably butchered that because I don't speak Mayan. But uh, it was a cave of the Crystal Lady. Uh, there's some pictures online. Very few, but uh, I think it was something on the order of 150 bucks to go on the trip. Gotcha. And it would be worth every penny to go on. Really? Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. You get into the the ceremonial chamber that you could actually get out of the river passage into the ceremonial chamber up high and there's just uh, sacrificial remains everywhere pottery remains and then the 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 big finale is you get into the back room and there's a full intact human skeleton that is covered in uh calcite crystals and it is just gorgeous really yeah do you have pictures of that uh no because you're not allowed to take pictures in there okay yeah, no one is allowed to take pictures. You, you're allowed to get a couple pictures, like a couple selfies or whatever, at the entrance of the cave. But uh, once you get in the cave, there's no photography. Um, so that's kind of like going into the man's chippecopper tent at the county fair. Yeah, yeah, totally. You pay your money, you go into the dark place, 
You don't talk about what happens when you get out. <laughs> oh, how, Greg, how old is that skeleton there? Uh, you know, uh, 13 years. Know. Yeah, it's about 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> 1995. No, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I don't know. I, I mean, the Mayan Empire lasted for a pretty good long time, and I don't know. I'm going to assume that it was post-classic, and uh, I, I don't I don't know that for sure. Because I know they, they really ramped up in the human sacrifice as the civilization started to decline. But, uh, I, you know... Because things started drying up. Yeah, so yeah, there was a lot of uh, drying up and things like that and deforestation. And they uh, started really ramping up their, uh, their sacrifices to try to get the rain to come back so they could keep living. I mean, they had some pretty intense cities, civilization, you know, city-state civilizations going on down there, very complex. And uh, it took a lot of lumber and resources and things like that that the region mm-hmm. just couldn't support. Now, were any of the caves when you went down there, were they all dry bottom caves like a normal cave no. we've been in, or were they more of the cenote style? So we didn't go, go into any cenotes. Uh, most of the caves that we went into had some kind of river component to it. Uh, the one like, you know, you know I, never, I didn't talk about the vampire bat cave, but the one, the vampire bat cave did have kind of a river component to it where we were in there. And it was, you could see there was a water, very clear water line on the walls that, uh, you know, these caves kind of uh, surge flood. They're, they're the conduits for the water to get all the water from the highlands down to the rivers and the basins and things like that. And uh, What's it smell like in there? <laughs> well... So a vampire bat eats blood. You know, they have a blood meal. And From what? And so what are they eating? Well, so what? Humans. Do, yeah, humans. They just like, you ever seen a mummy? Like where they're just desiccated and dried up? Mm-hmm. That's what they do to humans. They just, it's like a chupacabra. Yep, it's a chupacabra. Air. Yep, it's a flying chupacabra. Yeah. Beware. <laughs> no, actually vampire bats are one of the really cool species. Uh, they actually mostly uh, feed on uh, like, agricultural animals like uh, donkeys cows. and cows and things like that. And they don't actually bite and suck uh, like, you know, as in the movies or whatever. They actually will create a little wound uh, and the blood will start to pull. They have anticoagulants in their yeah, And they, like, lap it yep, up. Exactly. Right? They just yeah. lap it up like a dog at a, at a water dish. That's super weird. Yeah, it's pretty weird. And so, you know, this is what they're eating. And then we've all smelled roadkill from time to time, right? right? And how bad that smells. Well, if you can imagine roadkill being digested and turned into guano, guano, <laughs> yeah. And so you end up, and the bat, the these these bats are kind of funny. They live in these. They like to live in all the little holes up in the ceiling mm-hmm. in these kind of tight colonies. And so directly under these uh, little domes or holes in the ceilings, there will be, uh, we'll call it a honey pot. It's a little pile below it. Well, yeah. not a pile because the the. It's liquidy because it's yeah, blood. Yeah, it's liquidy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was trying to come up with a real nice way to say <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Yeah, yeah. No, that does. That. <laughs> disgusting liquid. I wasn't getting it. Yeah. I was just thinking like the little brown spots. Yeah, there's, there's like a little depression. It'll be full of this gooey, nasty stuff, and it's typically running over, and it smells... Like, if you can imagine, can you imagine what this would smell like? Yeah, a little bit? it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, it's worse than you can imagine. So, yeah, our guide that day, he was a different guy than we had had, had previously, and he was a super professional guy. He uh, was, it was kind of about a, it was about a mile hike back to this cave that day, and we walked through um, 
a fruit tree orchard, and he grabbed a lime off the tree on the way, and I thought, man, that's a great idea. We'll squeeze some lime into our waters. You had a little Topo Chico have with a, you. Have a little ranch water situation going on. This would be fantastic. <laughs> I didn't think much about it. I was like, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want a fresh lime in their water, right? So we get there, and we're going back. And we're, crawling, we're crawling through the water that is infused with the bat guano oh, stuff. Uh... Well, and that was my own fault because, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not a small guy. My friend who went with us and the guide are smaller people, and they got to go on this higher level, upper, low crawl thing that they fit through that I didn't. There was a lower level crawl that went through kind of like, a, you know, the P-trap on a sink? Well, it kind of looked yeah. like that, but it was full of that. The U-bend. The, yeah, it was like the U-bend. And it was full of that water with a mix of the bat guano, vampire bat guano. Oh, and so yeah. I got to go through that. <laughs> oh, did you get your head underneath it too? No, I did not. So, no, my, I just was able, by turning my head sideways and squeezing through, able to keep one ear and mouth and nose out of the water. You notice I said one ear. Oh, man. Anyway, so we got back in the cave, went way on back there, and it smelled pretty bad. And then uh, we got back to this amazing, big, beautiful chamber that has some great stuff. And uh, on the way out, the bats were stirred up, and so they were stirring up the smell, and as we came back through that sump, that's when the guide produced that lime. And in one, one swoop, grabbed the lime, knife, peeled it off, and stuck it in my nose because I was horking uh-huh. big time. I was like, oh, oh, oh. And we, all of us, you know, all of us were horking. He'd been in that cave enough to know, like, he was a super professional. You know? Yeah, like, he this knew is, that people were going to need this. We were going to need this on the way out. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, that was probably... That's vamp. That's my vampire. So, do you story. just hold it up to your nose, or do you actually like stick the lime up in it? Oh no, like I was a clown nose. I was like, no, he just like kind of took off a, a chunk of the lime peel, and I was just like, he'd kind of squeezed it, you know, to get the oils going. And I just like I was rubbing it on my nose and doing everything I could, yeah, whilst horking <laughs> profusely. <laughs> and uh, my friend was laughing at me. She was, uh, yeah, she thought it was real funny. That's great. So, about so, yeah. how big are vampire bats? Because the free, Mexican free tails, it's a tiny bat. Yeah, Mexican free tail bat, their body's about the size of a, a small mouse. I, I say the size of my thumb, but I've kind of got a big thumb. Yeah, you have mouse-shaped thumbs. Yeah, I have a mouse-shaped thumb. But, uh, you know, and their, their wingspan is about six, seven inches wide. Uh, uh, vampire bat's a little bit bigger than that. But they're really interesting because they're, they're really uh, kind of gregarious and personable and very curious. And they... They're so freaking creepy because they don't always just fly. They like they actually they like crawl. crawl. Yeah. And so they do this kind of weird crawl with their wing arms and their feet and they kind of come check you out and they look from behind formations and they, they like that they guy that was like creeping at me from behind yes. the bathroom. He was, he like, was a bathroom <laughs> creeper guy. Yeah. But in a cave that and you know with they're extra thousand, creepy because they're bloods. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, they're looking at you differently. They're, yeah. they're giving you that look. Yeah. Like, you look tasty. So, I know that a lot of animals use caves to maybe drag things into to eat or maybe as, you know, where uh, they sleep. Have you run into any interesting animals have. like cats or anything like that? Like, what's some weird th- animals maybe you've run into in a well, cave? in the first cave that Greg ever took me on, so the first time I've ever been underground oh, yeah. caving, uh, we found... A was it a javelina skull yep. and all that from where something had drug a javelina carcass into the very back of mm-hmm. this cave and then down into a sub floor of the cave and the guy we were with was 
more experienced and as about the same size as me, but more experienced. So he could actually like twist and contort his body to get down in here. Where I was like, I'm not doing that. And he brought up like this javelina skull that we were able to give to the landowner. Yeah, yeah, it had actually it looked like it had some maybe some teeth marks and stuff mm-hmm. on it. So yeah, I've never seen a big cat in the in in there. I mean, I would say the most nastiest thing I've encountered besides the vampire bat stuff is also uh, well kind of a carrion eater uh, uh, vultures those I'm never happy to see a vulture in a cave they alive or dead alive yeah they're the worst uh, they're a great animal you know they do a lot of good stuff you know cleaning up everything but if you corner a vulture in a cave they get upset and they start hissing at you and screeching at you, and their main defense is vomiting. Oh, oh. and so it kind of goes back to again the vampire, the vampire bats, what they're eating, what they're emitting. Yeah, I wish you have you always you want a lime slice exactly. Yeah. Um, so is that the most important gear to have? Ah, uh, you know, I mean, you might not be wrong. Bring a slice of lime. Hot tip. And even if you're not going to use it to sniff, put it Water. in your topo chico. Yeah. Yep. So we're actually running out of time, but Greg, if uh, someone wanted to like get into caving, if they were like, "Man, this podcast really inspired me. Those yeah. guys are great," you know. Yeah. So the number one thing you can do is there's always a lot of places. There's local small caving organizations called grottos, and they're you know, like here in San Antonio, we have the Bear Grotto, and it's just kind of the San Antonio area, and then. Austin has one, and uh, Dallas-Fort Worth has one. And a lot of the major cities around the nation have them. The National Speleological Society has a list of all of the grottos around the nation. And the best way to ever get involved in caving is to go visit your local grotto, introduce yourself, say hi. Cavers are typically pretty cool folks. Uh, beyond that, uh, the, you know, beyond just joining or going and introducing yourself at a grotto, uh, there's things like the National Speleological Society has a you know a, a new caver website or not website but you know page on their mm-hmm. website that uh, gives you a lot of information. Uh, yeah, grottos. Go go to a grotto. A lot of them are, are typically in person meetings. Some of them meet like in San Antonio they meet a couple times a month. Uh, other places they meet less often. Sometimes they meet more often depending on where they are and what they're doing. And uh, that's the best way to go because there's the experienced people that can get you trained up, teach you how to cave appropriately. They'll they typically will have an amount of loaner gear so you can go try it out a couple times before uh, before you get in there. So yeah, grottos, that's cool. Caving grottos. And then where does that word come from? Grotto. Do you know? Uh, grotto is kind of another name for like a small cave kind of okay. thing. So yeah. And then what's the difference between spelunking and caving? Well, that's kind of a that's kind of a hot topic. I'm not going to lie. So typically what most people, if you, if you say, oh, I'm in the cave, and then someone goes, oh, yeah, you're a spelunker. And then a lot of people <laughs> will take the time out of their day to correct them and say, I'm not a spelunker. I'm a caver. And, you know, it's, it, it kind of den- being a caver kind of denotes that you're experienced. And to some people, being a spelunker kind of denotes that you're less experienced. And, you know, you can argue the fact that, hey, if somebody's interested and says, oh, you're a spelunker, that, you know, they're taking interest in what you say. And they're, you know, you don't want to kind of like 
put them on blast for having a little bit of information. You know? mm-hmm. Whatever. There's so, a polite way to do it. Yeah, there's you know there's a polite way you could yeah. you could say yeah you know without like, like raising your nose yeah, in the air exactly you know we can and some people do and some people don't but you know you can say yeah we like to call ourselves cavers but yeah there there is kind of that that little bit of a delineation we typically would consider a spelunker this person that's going into the cave with their cell phone flashlight and. And, you know, maybe leaving stuff behind and not caving softly and all those things. Oh, so, I know we're out of time, but I have one more question I wanted to ask. What yeah. are some myths on caves? Like, what are, like, common misconceptions about caves? Oh, man. That they're all cold. Well, but see, some caves are cold. Caves take on the average temperature of the area. So caves here are fairly warm for oh. the most part. Caves in the northern area are typically pretty cold. Some can have ice in them all year. Uh, common misconception is that all caves are these tiny little squeezy uh, claustrophobic things. They're not. Uh, some caves, you you don't need knee pads and you can just walk through a cave and yeah. have a nice time. Some caves are, but some caves are real small and squeezy. You don't, just because you're claustrophobic doesn't mean you don't, you can't go caving. Oh, okay. That's, that's yeah. a good point too. Yeah, for sure. I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I'll never go caving because I'm claustrophobic. Yeah. But like I've been to Carlsbad. Carlsbad's a huge cave. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's open with paths and yeah. everything well, like even that. the same cave can go from being big to having its claustrophobic areas because mm-hmm. when we've been there was definitely parts where i felt 100 percent comfortable being in there and then 10 feet ahead of me i'm like i can't do this anymore and that's happened to me twice in mm-hmm. a cave where yeah. i start something and then where it gets me is i can't turn my head and my head's going through this space sideways and I can't see necessarily what's going on in front of me. Yeah, I hate and that. And the ceiling feels like it's just a centimeter or so off your back. I mean, it's probably a lot more, but that's what it feels like. And then at that point is when I'm like, no. Can't do it. And I'm, I start pushing backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a typical like West Central Texas cave is these big, beautiful rooms connected by these tiny little squeezy things. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of, a, again, a challenge for a guy my size. I want to I go into a cave that is connected to the aquifer. Okay. Yeah. And with big rooms. To yeah, the that's aquifer? A little tougher. That's a little tougher. That's tougher? Yeah, that's a little tougher. But, but what's the, what are, how, how can we lug this podcast equipment into a cave, cave into a podcast in a cave? <laughs> well, actually, um, you know, there's a cave here in San Antonio that we could do that in. There's power on site, and we could get down there and podcast in the cave. That'd be cool. We'd have, you know, might have to drag the extension cord a little bit. But You're talking about <laughs> the acoustics would be outside. What cave is it? Just That'd be Robert Baron Cave, the one the one you guys went to. Oh yeah. And then where in the U.S. would probably be the area with the most caves or well known oh. for caving? So definitely amongst cavers themselves, there's the it's called we call it tag uh, and. Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, I think. Might be Arkansas. I think it's Alabama. It'd have to be Alabama. Of, yeah, I think one of my friends will correct me on that. I don't know. But I mean tag. if you're lumping if you know Tennessee and Georgia, they just you have know a ton of caves. To be. Yeah, there's a ton of very classic, well known caves. Um, but there's there's caves all over the place. There's so many caves across the country. Uh, there's some places that just have no caves. You, know, you get down to the coastal plains, there's no caves. If anywhere there's a limestone base, there's going to be caves. And it's limestone uh, with exposed 
Uh, exposed limestone regions, we call them karst region, karst regions, mm-hmm. and anywhere there's karst, there's caves. Uh, but that's you know in Hawaii there's caves, but they're volcanic caves. There's sandstone caves. There's you know so there's all these different things. There's yeah. ice, ice caves. So there's caves all over the world, all over the country. Um, there's been caves that have been seen on Mars, and uh, you know extraterrestrial caves too that might be really interesting to see maybe there's lizard people there yeah, that's, that's why cool. lizard people like them yeah. yeah yeah well thanks greg for coming on the podcast yeah Absolutely. man that was great thank you for having me it's hey, been really great. hey ian you have anything you want to add before we bounce no that was great man i'm i'm just sitting here listening trying to learn um as much as i can so that was fantastic thank yeah you. this was awesome thanks yeah. for coming on greg yeah absolutely you know if anybody doesn't want to hit hit up any of those other places i can get uh, my contact information maybe in the show notes or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. we'll put your way. email if yeah. people want to ask you questions or something uh, absolutely i'd be glad to answer any emails about caving or how they can get into caving. or you know if like if that. anybody wants to answer a question about caving on the podcast i'll ask greg and then report back or we'll have greg on again absolutely. we'll save him for that yeah, too for sure be glad to come back maybe we can talk about fishing or something next time yeah i know <laughs> yeah. i actually do a little bit of that you yeah. actually fish? Yeah, a little bit. I'm, oh, I thought I'm you were just a caver. <laughs> and I thought you were a caver and fly tire. I didn't know you actually fish. <laughs> Greg's Sometimes. actually a really good fly tire as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I try to. Thank you. Yeah. But, all right, guys. Thanks for listening to Unmatch the, pa- Unmatch the Hatch podcast. Uh, if you like this episode, leave us a review. That'd be really great. And we'll see you next week.